0: And the reading today is from Luke 1, to 56. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold from, all, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. The grass withers and the flowers fade
1: the word of our god stands forever so music is a powerful tool in our lives just think about it how much this worship service would change uh, if we did not have music i'm sure a number of you would not come back next sunday because of that but it's a powerful tool And, and especially during this time of year this this christmas time this advent season um, there's, there seems to always be this debate of when you should start listening to Christmas music during the season. Is it before Thanksgiving, or is it after Thanksgiving? I'm of the opinion that it should always be after, um, but maybe you have a different argument for that. Uh, but no matter when you start listening, there are certain holiday hits that may uh, get you in the mood uh, for the Christmas season. So maybe some of you are on the... Uh, Uh, Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas Is You Train. I personally cannot stand that song. Um, Or the crooning voice of Bing Crosby singing White Christmas. Or maybe you are more like me than you just prefer the traditional Christmas hymns. Let's just keep it biblical and, you know, Christian. But in a, a recent New York Times article titled, Why You Love or Love to Hate Christmas Music, The writer, Derek Bryson Taylor, explores this phenomenon uh, of this relationship that we have with Christmas music specifically, and he writes this. He said, Christmas music, like all forms of music, is powerful, but this genre is perhaps more potent than any other forms of music because the holiday season itself is emotionally charged. It represents the ideals that most humans strive for, like equality, tolerance, love, and tranquility. So songs, essentially, is what he's saying, and especially during the Christmas season, uh, move us to reflect upon uh, that which is most important. So maybe you've had uh, certain memories that you hold to typically happen around this time of year, during Christmas. And so you have these songs kind of playing in the back of your head during these sweet, special moments that you might have. And so there's a lot of nostalgia involved in that. And we are able to reflect. When we hear a song, we reflect upon those things. Well, the scriptures, thankfully, are also full of songs that do that very thing. Songs meant to remind you of your identity in Christ, of your plight before Christ. Uh, and most importantly, it is, they are there to remind us of our Savior. So King David wrote his hymns to the harp. And Jesus sings them throughout his life. David, King David summarizes Jesus' death in in one of many places uh, using imaginative and creative language in Psalm 118, verse 22, when he says, the stone, which he's speaking of Christ there, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone." And in in that one line of one song, David communicates the enormity of the gospel message, that Jesus was rejected, but at the very same time, he was uh, solidified as our foundation for the church. And then Jesus sings the words of Psalm 22, verse 1, from the cross, when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So it's not surprising to learn that his mother, Mary, sang as well. Even before Jesus was born, she sang. I read a a study this week that said that that babies, when they are sung to while still in the womb, have a greater brain capacity than babies who were not sung to while they were in the womb. And just to perpetuate any sort of mom guilt uh, that you're feeling right now, and all of you are going to go home and start singing t- today, uh, that, that those same sung-to babies in the womb could recognize the songs uh, when it was sung to them outside of the womb. Even months and years later, they understood what that song was. Well, Mary sings, even before Jesus is born. And Mary sang of God's praise, she sang of God's mercy, she sang of God's justice, and she sings of God's rescue. Realities that can only be fulfilled and found in the Christ child that is growing in her womb. Mary's song, also known as the Magnificat, found here in Luke 1, is communicating to us uh, something of, of the deepness of God, because it's communicating the message that was promised long ago by God back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and then prophesied throughout the Old Testament scriptures, that the Messiah is coming, the promised one is coming, the snake crusher is coming to save his people from their sin. So during Advent, it's always a goal of mine for our church to enter into this this spiritual reality that that often gets covered up by, by the cultural backdrop during this time of year. And it seems to get worse and worse as the years go on. Which means Advent, the Christmas season, should not be the only time we talk about the significance of the birth of Christ. It should not be the only time that we bring up the incarnation. The words we speak this month are just as relevant now as they will be in July of next year. That the Savior has come. And the Savior will come again. That the first Advent has already been fulfilled, and the second Advent is coming. And who better to show us how to to live in this way, to live during this time of Advent, than the one who gave birth to the Savior? The one who really carried him for nine months the one who experienced the labor pains, the one who, who woke up with him in the middle of the night to, to, to feed him, the one who cleans his messes, and everything else that comes with having a baby. Because Mary's song provides for us a, a model of how we're to get our minds around what we are to see, recognize, experience, and do with the reality of the incarnation of God in Christ her song slows us down, or it's meant to. It's meant to focus our attention on that which is of most importance during this time of year. So in this passage, we see some important characteristics of Mary's song that we're going to investigate over the coming weeks. We'll be in Luke chapter 1 and Mary's song, the entirety of Advent. But the first thing that I want us to see here is, is Mary's praise of God in Christ. And so, since we'll be in these verses the entirety of Advent, I want to make two broad observations this morning from Mary's song. And I want to do this because I believe uh, this will help get us into the posture of doing the same thing that Mary is doing as she sings this song, is by getting into the posture of praising God in Christ. So, two observations that I want to point out this morning. One is that Mary's nothingness points to God's everything. And then two, Mary's song is comprehensively biblical. So Mary's nothingness points to God's everything. And two, Mary's song is comprehensively biblical. So first, Mary's nothingness points to God's everything. Now let me just be clear and say uh, from the outset that the title of this first observation uh, doesn't mean that I think or believe that Mary is nothing or unimportant and we should just kind of put her to the side and forget about her, that she's just a pawn in the game, that she's just a cog in the machine and we don't need, and she holds really no true relevance anymore. Because as evangelicals, I think it's very easy for us to dismiss Mary in this way because we're afraid that we will overemphasize her and diminish jesus in the process which could still be a danger but i don't think there's a danger as long as we recognize that mary's life mary's life was singularly devoted not to herself but to jesus she can say like paul follow me as i follow christ So Mary is not only significant in her obedience to to what God has called her to, uh, she's also significant to the story of Jesus. Mary wasn't a random selection by God. He didn't just kind of close his eyes and point and his, his finger landed on Mary. No, she holds significance. She was chosen to do this. Because Jesus coming into the world as a baby communicates not only the singularity of his purpose... Which is to save sinners, but also the significance of his purpose. Jesus wasn't born into royalty, even though he was royal. Jesus wasn't born into the safety of trained medical staff there to kind of catch him when he came out. Jesus wasn't born into the comfort of a middle class or upper class family and lifestyle. No, he's born in the most humble way possible and will one day die in the most humble way possible. And so he's born to a humble family in a no-name town to no-name parents. And Mary brings this idea up several times in her song. Uh, in verse 48, if you want to look there, uh, she says these words, for he, and speaking about herself, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servants. The humble estate, and she calls herself a servant. So the first acknowledgement of her humble estate is the grounds that she has for her praise of God. And it has its background in Hannah's prayer that we had read earlier to us in the service from 1 Samuel chapter 2 but specifically from the vow that Hannah took in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11. If you remember, Hannah was a barren woman. She was unable to have children, and she goes and she prays to God to open up her womb, which he does, and she makes this vow to God. She says, "'O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant "'and remember me and not forget your servant.'" but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. And then back in our passage, Mary again does the same thing that Hannah does in verse 52 when she sings, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. So Mary more than likely uses this specific language to communicate her understanding of who she is before God. Yes, we know that she's doing that, but she's also considered by the world someone who is of lowly estate, someone who is a servant, someone who is not high ranking, someone who is not rich and well-to-do. Mary understands her position socially. And because of this, her child would also share this lowly position. This lowly estate, being born in a manger of all places amongst animals to a poor, insignificant to the world parents. Not to mention the fact that Mary is pregnant before marriage. So the world is looking upon her with scorn. She is pregnant out of wedlock, which was uh, punishable uh, by death in that that time and in that culture. She was uh, marked throughout her life with the the proverbial A that Hester Prynne is forced to wear in uh, the Scarlet Letter. She was always looked at in this way. And therefore, because of that, Jesus' own life is also laced with this scandal. So much so that when he goes back to his hometown, as an adult, he's grown up, he's sort of proven himself. You would think, these things are behind me now, nobody is really thinking about this anymore. And one of the first things they say when he returns to his hometown and begins to speak these great things about God and, and to, to, to begin to, to perform miracles, their question is, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? You you remember Mary, right? Mary is that that, uh, prostitute. She's that woman who gave herself to another man outside of marriage that was not her husband. And therefore, her son is scandalous as well. Which was meant to remind Jesus and everyone else, and Jesus didn't really need to be reminded of this, but to remind us especially of his lowly place in the world. That even in his adulthood, even after he's performing these miracles and and preaching this message of the good news of God, he is still looked upon in this lowly, humble way. Which is exactly the way God intended it to happen. Why? Because in Christ's humiliation, in Christ's humiliation is our exaltation. Christ becoming lowly, Christ, Christ going low, he is able to lift us high. He is able to uh, put us uh, to, to stand in good favor at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And if he doesn't do this, we, we, we do not have that privilege. I came across this quote this morning from Martin Luther in my devotions who said these words. He says, if Christ had arrived... "...with trumpets and lain in a cradle of gold, his birth would have been a splendid affair, but it would not be a comfort to me. He was rather to lie in the lap of a poor maiden and be thought of little significance in the eyes of the world. Now I can come to him. Now he, re- he reveals himself to the miserable in order not to give any impression that he arrives with great power, splendor, wisdom, and aristocratic manners." Christ makes God approachable in his humiliation. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, Paul communicates this same thing when he says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Why? So that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. Mary models this for us. One of the first things that Mary does upon hearing his news is is not to say, wow, look at how privileged I am. Look at how great I am that of all the women of the world, God has chosen me to give birth to his son. That's not what Mary does. Mary instead turns her gaze towards her God. God. Mary, instead of praising herself or exalting herself, exalts God and praises God for what he is doing in her and what he will do through her, but most importantly, what he is doing through Christ. So notice, Mary never points to herself as worthy to carry out this task. She actually does the opposite. She she actually... Of turns on herself as if to say, in light of who God is and what He is currently doing in me personally and what He is also going to do in this world, I am nothing. So she removes herself from the picture. We don't have to do that for her. She does it herself. In the same way that John the Baptist will do later when he says, He, Jesus, must increase. But as Jesus increases, I must decrease. I must put myself out of the way so that people can see Jesus clearly. So what does it look like to take a posture for you like Mary? What does that look like? And I think part of it is we have to look at our own humble estate. I don't, whatever job you might have or whatever kind of power that you hold or however much money you have in the bank makes no difference to me in how I treat you. And it makes no difference to God God either. I'm thankful you have those jobs. I'm thankful you have that power. I'm thankful you have that money. But in God's eyes, those things mean nothing. And so I think one thing that we have to do is we have to look at our own humble estate our own brokenness and sin and confess that we too, like Mary, are nothing before a holy God. But also in that nothingness, we are pointing to God's everything as well. To remember that we bring nothing to God that makes us worthy of Jesus' coming. He didn't say, oh, they're cleaned up enough now, let me go and, and bring my, uh, my son to save the world uh, because they have done so much good work. That, that, that never happened and that never was going to happen. If we were waiting for that to happen, we would still be in the first advent. And so as we do that, as we remember our own humble estate, our own brokenness and sin, then we need to rest in the promises that only come true in God. So Mary's humble song reminds us of the way of the kingdom. And the way of the kingdom is, is not franticness. The way of the kingdom is not Christmas decor. And I'm not against Christmas decor. But there's not the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom even it isn't even gift-giving. The way of the kingdom is a seeking of the Lord. Because he is the one who fills the hungry with good things, as Mary tells us. And so he alone is the one who satisfies our longing, hungry soul. And it's out of Mary's avoidance of the spotlight that we're able to see this clearly about who God is, so we're not left—we're st- not left uh, worshiping Mary or, or admonishing her in any higher ways than she wants. But be- because she's removed herself from the picture, we are able to look to the God who saves His servants in Christ. And this isn't a message that. Mary pulled out of thin air or was somehow just kind of magically revealed to her in this particular moment and then she was just kind of struck magically with these words that she was able to praise God with. No, it's a message that she has long known and the way we know this is because her song is comprehensively biblical. You can't get around it. Now, I know that the, uh, the Spotify raps came out this week Um, because I've seen many of you post it, but I actually personally love the Spotify raps. It uh, it allows me to see, like, what did did I listen to? What was popular? And kind of get embarrassed by some of the songs that are on there, you know? Um, But if you don't know what this is, if you're like, what? Uh, What is Spotify raps? It's just the music streaming service, and all they do is just take the the most popular songs and albums and podcasts that you listen to throughout the year, and they just kind of compile it into a playlist, and they give you, you know, nice little pictures that you can post on social media to brag about, how cool you are with the music you listen to, you know that's true, right? So, But it, it, it's, it's, it's interesting to note that, that um, you, you look at these songs that have been presented to you, that you've listened to. There's no way around it. You can't go, I didn't listen to that song this year. And you're like, yeah, I listened to that song a lot this year. But I wonder why those songs would be your songs. You ever thought about that? The songs that pop up on your Spotify rap every year or whatever it might be, why are those the most popular songs for you throughout the year? Is it because they have a certain message that spoke to you during a hard time? I know I have several songs like that where I just had them on repeat uh, pretty much during the summertime. Maybe it's a sentimental song. Maybe it's something uh, like a a Christmas song that something sentimental or special happened and then a certain song was playing and that was the song you just kept rehearsing because it reminded you of that moment. Or maybe you're just shallow and it's just a fun song and a good beat and that's all you did and that's the reason why you liked it and, and that's what it is. But I wonder what you would say your heart song is. What, what is that song that you have on repeat there? What, what are you rehearsing in your own heart? Because the Bible was the song of Mary's heart. In these 10 verses that we read, Mary manages to cram the entire, and this is no exaggeration, the entire biblical narrative into these 10 verses of her song, doing so by quoting from the book of Genesis, the book of Deuteronomy, 1 Samuel, Job, multiple Psalms, Ezekiel, Daniel, Isaiah, and Habakkuk. So what Mary does is she takes uh, from every part of the Old Testament, the, the, the law, the, the history books, uh, the songs of the Old Testament, uh, the, the minor prophets, the, the smaller you know, books of the Bible in, in the Old Testament, and the major prophet. From every part of the Old Testament, Mary uses this to communicate this message of this baby that is growing inside of her womb. So I say it's comprehensively biblical because Mary was seeking to communicate from, from the Bible, from nowhere else, all or nearly all aspects of Jesus. Which is the main thread or the main message of the Bible? Do you understand that? Do you know that, that, the main, that the reason that the Bible was written was not for us necessarily? that we don't just have these stories uh, uh, in, in the scriptures to, so that we can learn how to be courageous when we face our giants. That's not what they're for. The entire message of the Bible is there to point us to Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus is the thread that runs throughout so if you miss that, you miss the entirety of the Bible. You miss the entire, the entire plot line of the Bible. You will not understand it if you remove Jesus from it. And so Mary is reminding us, this is the message that has been spoken, out, spoken about since the beginning of time. And so there's no other way she could do this or understand this except by being immersed in the Scriptures, because this is, this is what it means to be biblically literate. And I would say with confidence that we live in a biblically illiterate world. We don't understand what the Bible means. For, for a lot of us, that's because we just don't even read it except here and now on a Sunday. But this is something we value at Christ the King Church. We value the scriptures. We value being biblically literate. So not just so that we can say we've read through the Bible X amount of times in our lifetime, but because we want to have the message of Jesus constantly washing over us. It's the number one reason we do that. We want to be like Mary here. We want to immerse ourselves in the scriptures. Why? So that God's word, not your career goals, not your financial motivations, not the pursuit of happiness, not the pursuit of the American dream, but God's word drives you. So so that it might be the very focus of every conversation and every face-to-face relationship that you have. So that we would be ready to to tell our children and our children's children uh, in such a way that they would understand that that this story about God coming to his people to save them is their story too. The story of Jesus. And there's no way you can tell that story if you don't know and understand your Bible. And this was Mary. Mary. And if you know anything about this uh, particular time period, uh, women were not encouraged to get an education. Women were second-class citizens. So for Mary to understand the Scriptures in the way that she understands them um, is significant. So when it came time to praise God for something, Mary had the biblical language to do so. When it came time to hear the words from uh, Simeon in Luke chapter 2, verse 35, when he uh, prophesies to Mary and speaks over to her, over her, the, the death of her son, as he's this little baby standing next to her, Simeon speaks over, to, over her these words, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. And because she knew the scriptures, she understood that this was not going to be normal. (laughs) This was not going to be easy. And so when it came time for this prophecy to come true, and Mary is at the foot of her son's cross, who is in agony and pain, something that we'll never experience in that way, she could look back at this biblical narrative and know that God's promises would come true again and again and again, even in her pain and suffering, even as the sword pierces through her own soul. She knew her son would rise from the dead. She knew that she would see him again because she understood and knew God's word and the promises that were there. So, what do these biblical references that Mary quotes uh, tell us about Jesus? So, I want to take them in order as they show up in Mary's song. So, the first uh, passage or scripture or, or verse that she quotes is from Isaiah sixty-one ten, and I'm, I'm not going to read every single one of them. But Mary begins her song by reciting from a clear messianic text uh, that points forward to Christ that ignites. Uh, Praise in its readers that's how she begins and then quoting from 1st Samuel chapter 1 and 1st Samuel chapter 2 uh, is Hannah's prayer that she prays after she has learned that God has opened her womb and, and given her a son a son that that like Jesus is a shadow of the Messiah to come who would also be used by God in a very specific way Mary was la- uh, you know, kind of interlacing her life with Hannah's life and her prayer and song with Hannah's prayer and song. Deuteronomy 5.10 and and chapter 7, verse 9, Mary uses the law to point to the fact that it's not the law that brings steadfast love to thousands, but Christ who does that. Deuteronomy 7.9 says... Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And then she quotes Psalm 89.10 and Isaiah 51.9, which are references to God's victory in Christ, that, that Christ is Christus Victor, who crushes the head of his enemies. And then Daniel 4: 37, Job, 5:11, Ezekiel 21:26 explains the way of the kingdom of God, that it's not normal. that God will exalt the lowly and make low the exalted. That's the kingdom. A truth that Jesus also re emphasizes in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, when he says things like, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then Isaiah 41. Micah 7.20, Genesis 15 and Genesis 17, uh, where she goes back to say that God has fulfilled his covenant promise to his people, that he has remained faithful, even though his people have not remained faithful. So she's retelling what's been happening throughout the Bible and throughout history, Mary is pointing to the true truth and the true reality that is only found in God's kingdom come in Christ. That while she is walking through her own excitements and emotions and fears and sadness and and all of these things that, that that are coming to her all in this particular moment when the angel arrives to her, She uses the scriptures, the Bible, to express those. She doesn't point to how she is feeling to exclaim what is true and real. She points to the Bible. Now, I think emotions are important. I think you should be aware of them. I think you should express them. I'm all about that, but I want to say, too, our emotions are fickle. Our emotions change from not just day to day, but sometimes minute to minute, (laughs) Moment by moment, they are changing. So what makes us happy or excited today will will leave us frustrated and confused tomorrow. But God's word, we recite these words every Sunday, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. It doesn't fade, it doesn't go away, it it never changes, it is always there, it stands forever. Forever And this has been taking place from the very beginning of time, continues throughout history, and in God's good promise, and even strange promises in providence. Everything, everything that has been happening from Genesis and and, and through Malachi and into the New Testament world, everything is coming together in the womb of this unknown young girl. The promise that was given to Adam and Eve, the first people on earth, the promise that was given to them back in Genesis chapter 3.15 when God says, I am sending the snake crusher. I am sending someone who will, who will crush the enemy's head. And I'm sure no one was really expecting it to happen in this way. The Lamb of God coming in the womb of a young girl who will take away the sins of the world. So Mary's song reminds us then that God is there and that he is not silent. He is speaking loudly and clearly through her womb that, believe it or not, the snake crusher is coming as a baby. And this baby is for all who fear God. So this is what we have to do in closing. This is the application. You must tune your heart to Mary's song. So maybe that means you need to go back through it this afternoon, uh, maybe with your spouse or some friends or whoever, or your kids, and just go back and rehearse Mary's song. Tune your heart to it. Maybe you should memorize it this Advent season. But don't forget it. Don't be annoyed by it. Allow it to get stuck in your head because it's the song that you need to be singing to yourself and the song that you need to be singing to everyone around you. Because Mary is reminding us of both the simplicity of Christmas and the enormity of it all. God becoming flesh so that you and I can be called his sons and daughters forever. Amen. Let me pray. Lord God, we are thankful that we have this season in our church calendar to to, To remember and to celebrate the the first advent the advent of of your coming in the flesh of your incarnation of you uh, becoming Emmanuel God with us what an incredible truth that is what an incredible truth um, that only Christianity has that their God the God of the universe the creator of the world Uh, would put on flesh and come to his people to save them. So, God, we are are thankful for the song that Mary has sung over us today through your word, that that she repeats these promises uh, from the very beginning to remind us of your greatness, of your glory, and of how we are to praise you in Christ. And so I pray that during this season that we are in, that we would tune our heart to Mary's song and that it would change who we are because of Christ. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.